Hello and welcome to a brave new world and the second season of Pontificating Across the Pond. In this episode, Som and I talk about leadership during this crisis and how congenital callousness across the globe has endangered millions and also put the economy at risk. Hi there, Uday. Uh, it's been a while and uh, it's... Uh, unlike a lot of uh, other podcasts out there who have been talking about uh, recording from home i think the only advantage of our times is that we pretty much uh, done it that way uh, throughout our season 1 uh, so it's not completely uh, a new territory for us uh, but uh, i think uh, with season 2 uh, waking up to this new reality uh, i just wanted to know uh, this uh, entire uh lockdown and change of schedules uh, how has it been treating you uh, in london and for all our audience members uh, there's just moved to london uh, about a couple of weeks back just in time for this lockdown uh how is work and how have the markets been responding globally as that is a large part of your mandate at work uh, let's begin with some of that before we kind of move into the topic out here today yeah so on the podcast front i think it's uh, what's worked out really well in our favor is like you said we've always recorded this way so uh, we have a head start and hopefully the quality of our podcast as good or as bad as it is it continues to remain the same at least on the technical front uh, in terms of uh, work and me moving into london obviously since the beginning of the year and you know for the past uh, couple of years i wasn't based in london but i was traveling into london to work although i would leave in the evening and uh, go further back to the into the midlands but now that i'm in london this seems to have uh, struck this uh, london turned into the and it still is the epicenter of the uh, pandemic at least here in the uk uh, and on the work front very interestingly uh, and very quickly the first thing we ran out of at work and at all the electronic appliance appliance shops uh, were external monitors so monitors were in very short supply and in fact uh, shops had gone down to the level of uh, taking down their display monitors and selling even those uh, so uh, people in the end had to resort to buying television sets to set up as workstations and now that we've done that a uh, large part of my role in fact my only role as an investor is to track the markets and invest in the markets and that already wasn't helped by the fact that uh, saudi arabia and russia had a massive falling out on the 8th of march and uh, we awoke to a new reality as energy investors on the 9th of march which was a once in a generation spat between two of the largest oil producers in the world uh, not seeing eye to eye and deciding to go that deciding to go their separate ways and that led to a meltdown in the price of oil and till then it was still about this being a supply shock both saudi and russia promised to flood the markets with uh, barrels of crude oil uh, so it was still a supply led issue and then shutdown after shutdown there was a wave of shutdowns flowing east to west and now it's turned into a once in a generation demand shock as well and which has left the markets in energy markets especially but now it has spread to the wider markets as well 
we just don't know what to make of this we don't know when the global economy will come out of this and when we do uh what the shape of the recovery will be i mean with the, all these shapes that economists and uh, people not unlike myself have been talking about whether it would be a v shaped recovery a u shaped recovery an l shaped recovery which is not much of a recovery at all it's just uh, you stop uh, declining Uh, so there are all these factors at play and very interestingly you know since all of us have uh, set up our workstations at home it's uh, it seems to be the consensus out in the market seems to be that the swings in the market have become a lot more volatile because all the traders are now isolated uh, at their desks inside their homes so they're not really talking to one another they can uh, act on their worst impulses which is also partly the reason why uh the s&p 500 uh all of their losses in the past one month can be traced to the first five minutes of market opening so if the market's open at 9:30 all the losses that they've accumulated this month can be put down to the losses in the first five minutes of market opening so if you were to buy something at 9:35 and sell it before market close you'd actually be slightly up in your portfolio but if you bought it uh every morning and you held on to your investments you'd be down about 20 25% so very interesting moves in the broader markets and for us as energy investors it's just compounded by a biblical war uh, between two big oil producers and now the US is also one of the big three oil producers and uh, this ploy seems to be to drive us shale into decline to drive them into bankruptcy and that is the unfinished agenda of the market share wars which started in 2014 and they've never really been resolved so russia seems to be uh, the one which wanted to drive this uh, strategic shift in opec plus's thinking but uh, the young saudi prince just took everybody's breath away and the broad consensus is that he took this decision based on ego and such decisions are not easily reversed so we could be in a world where demand has fallen by about 25 30% but production remains at the earlier level or even goes up by 5 to 10% so with this talk of homeless crude which just wanders the high seas and is not really claimed by any country and just crude which uh, you know i think indefinitely might just remain at sea because of the demand destruction that we've seen so uh, that was broadly it in uh, you know on the personal front and in london people have largely and in the uk people have largely followed the uh, government's mandate uh, i think uh, the liberty loving britons have stayed indoors uh, they've stopped going down to the pubs of course because they're all shut and even boris johnson saw fit to joke about this uh, so the people have largely followed through apart from stepping out for the one a day exercise which is allowed uh, people have just largely followed through they've given up their liberties quite uh, you know quite wholly and without question so 
there's now talk of uh, police overreach which is coming out into the press but i think people have by and large followed it quite well the panic has subsided i haven't been to the supermarkets in a while but uh, when i do go i do hope to find uh, some essentials if nothing else at least rice and even rice had sold out last time and it seems to be a very london specific thing uh, up in the midlands and further north uh, the shortages are far less acute it seems to be a crazed london thing to do to go out and uh, polish the uh, supermarket shelves so i'd be very interested in knowing uh, how it's going back home in india um so it's uh, i i think just for the size of the country uh, it's very hard to kind of comment what's happening across but i think from whatever conversations i'm having with you know friends and family who are you know across cities and smaller towns and villages um i think uh, one thing is for sure uh, um, there was this beautiful graph that was showing the stock prices of uh, uh, zoom uh, versus the stock uh, prices of vwork and how vwork has been falling and zoom has been accelerating at a a crazy state which uh, makes sense because all of india now is on zoom and i'm sure most of the other world is uh, even friends who i have not had video calls with for uh, since i've known them suddenly feel like video calls are required even though we could any, anyway never meet uh, so uh, this is how the country is staying in touch but i think what's interesting is that it feels like a lot of the urban centers in india like i'm in bangalore uh, from friends in bombay and gurgaon and delhi uh most of the feedback coming back is that uh people are staying home uh state governments and uh local authorities have been effective enough in keeping deliveries open and that's being uh, uh promoted and um people are uh, ordering in more and therefore uh the overall exposure is obviously limited that way and as long as you follow protocols you can uh, manage your exposure but um when you go to smaller towns uh, we already i think last week itself before uh, our much touted janta curfew was announced uh, and the subsequent 21 day lockdown uh, there was a lot of defiance on the streets and i think in in smaller towns and cities uh, people feel that this is an extremely urban problem and uh, because it's something that uh, afflicts people coming back from other countries which is not something that they're going to be exposed to uh there's a lot more um instances of uh, police overreach out there you hear of lati charges happening on the streets and in even in some of the less urban parts of uh, cities like bangalore so this is again based on a lot of reports uh the area i live in bangalore uh, is a fairly uh, responsible resident association uh, and uh, everyone is kind of pulling in to kind of help out the more vulnerable and elderly Uh, so you're seeing society at possibly its best, uh, and this is not my area is not uh, isolated in doing that. It's uh, you're hearing these examples across the country, and uh, which is what the running joke is that as uh, Modi is telling the country that we have got you, we will take care of you. It's really individuals who are doing it uh, at at this point in time, right from you know private companies stepping out there and uh, funding and helping. uh migrant laborers to uh even the service industry uh, all the way to individuals in societies like this helping out people so um i think it uh, obviously no one is waking up considering this as their new reality 
uh, there are already a lot of messages going on about what are you going to do on the 15th of April as if this is going to be the end of it right and i feel uh, a little worried about how a lot of people including my own peers feel that uh, the 21 day lockdown was is going to be the end of this entire problem uh, which means either they're not really reading the news or do not completely have a handle on what the scale of this uh, pandemic really is uh, which which for most most of us we understand is this is pretty much the beginning so i think uh that's really the reality and i feel a lot of it is down to communication amongst uh, each of us uh, down from our state and local authorities and most importantly uh, right from the top in the center so i think kind of uh transitioning into our main conversation for the podcast today i i wanted to uh i mean we we've been discussing it for the last week about just how leadership across the world has been responding to this entire issue and i think the ones closest to us is the uk for you and uh india for me so i just wanted to understand from you that how has the british government really um gone about managing the situation from uh day one and just your thoughts on what's happening on the ground out there what are the holes that need to be plugged and just you know an overall analysis and understanding of it so the biggest hole that everybody has been asking the government to plug and plug now for a while has been testing for the frontline nhs workers the nhs being the national health service and the health service here is entirely nationalized and it's free for every resident uh, so the frontline testing for these workers has been very very limited and this dovetails very neatly with the time when the government pretty much abandoned testing uh their initial response was we test everyone who's flown in from some of these hotspots be it northern italy be it uh, south central china we'll test them we'll isolate them and then we'll trace the contact but they gave up on that idea very very quickly once they realized that they acted too late in closing their borders to people coming in from these parts so they abandoned it very quickly they said that we are not in a position to test and that was the first utterance of the much derided phrase which was herd immunity they said that we'd let this disease spread in the population it's business as usual uh, those who are vulnerable try staying indoors but there were no hard guidelines and uh, the all england badminton championship was still ongoing they didn't cancel it they just said stop shaking hands with people as if uh, traveling in crowded tubes wasn't much worse than actually shaking hands with people or hugging them and they came up with this strategy that we'd let this disease spread among the healthy population and then we'd develop immunity as a herd uh which would also prevent a second wave a uh, second coming of this disease they abandoned it very quickly once they realized that it would involve catastrophic loss of life uh and then they went on this strategy where they said it should be voluntary where whoever can work from home should work from home and in a very typical british way without really telling people what the government expected of them they expected the people to understand what this meant and stay indoors again people did uh the tubes were just as crowded the offices were just as crowded very few people paid heed to it and then within about 2 days of making this announcement uh they came out and said that now we're mandating a lockdown and all through 
one positive that the British government had was that they were very clear in communicating their strategy to people when they came out and said that we are not yet instituting a lockdown. They were very clear in saying that a lockdown still may come. It might still be in the pipeline. It, this is just not the right time to do it. Uh, but some of the criticism of that stance has also been that they've been overly guided by statisticians and mathematicians and not enough by healthcare professionals. Uh, so a lot of that advice was something the healthcare professionals didn't entirely agree with. And then that devolved into a state where we're now into the 10th day of the lockdown and People, by and large, the overwhelming majority of residents here in the UK, uh, we've followed it. We've followed the government's directives. Uh, deaths obviously are still rising. Cases are obviously still en route to peaking. But there are very early signs that these measures seem to be working. Uh, but the one glaring, I wouldn't call it defect, but the most visible sign of uh, this crisis has been the three podium uh, stage which is laid out at 5 uh, p.m. every day and three different uh, individuals from the government come and brief the media, brief the nation uh, about the pandemic, about COVID-19, about the country's response, what the numbers are, what the country hopes to achieve in the coming few weeks. And the one criticism is that there's been no constant face to that press conference. It started off with Boris Johnson being flanked by two different people or two different ministers or scientific advisors every day. And then, obviously, since Boris Johnson himself uh, was struck down by COVID-19, it's devolved into a rotating cast of ministers and scientific advisors coming and briefing the media. And now, on the margins, there's nothing new which is discussed any day. It's just devolved into talking about the number of new cases, the number of unfortunate deaths and what the government hopes to do with its testing strategy. But they've fallen far behind the target that they'd set for themselves. And in a way, Britons are now tiring of the government's mandate to stay indoors because we've heard nothing new in the 10 days that we've been into this lockdown and in the 14-odd days that the government has been briefing us uh, about their progress. There's really been no progress. It's just talking about numbers. They haven't made progress on testing. It doesn't seem like aid will reach the most affected companies or individuals in the first wave of uh, government-sponsored help. So there's a bit of tiredness and the government rightly also had pointed out that if we institute the lockdown too soon, people would just tire and not follow it. Uh, but, you know, less than halfway into the lockdown, I think people are beginning to tire, A, because of no new news being uh, shared with you, and B, also because it seems like the government hasn't kept up their end of the bargain. They asked the people for time, and people willingly gave it to them, giving up their freedoms and civil liberties along the way. Uh, but they've really come up with uh, no new solution. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same feeling across the globe. But obviously what matters in most and what's closest to heart is uh, what's happening in India. So you could walk us through that. Yeah, so I think um, a lot of the response uh, in, among some groups of people out here, especially again in urban centers, has been... Uh, similar to what you're voicing, but I, I think there's, there's 
the the difference is that uh, first of all uh, i think what's happening is that people are really looking at the entire crisis from the lens of uh, the last couple of days and the data that comes uh, in a given day uh, people uh, are not spending too much time really thinking back to when this started uh, what is the course that it is expected to follow um, and uh, really questioning the government as to why um, a lockdown of this uh, nature was instituted when i hear a lot of people talking about like i mentioned what are you going to be doing on 15th april clearly it it comes from a place of lack of communication from the government to really be able to explain what the lockdown was for um uh, i think uh, in early uh, sec- early second week of march uh, is when the first set of directives had started uh, uh, coming through where uh, people were uh, working out of uh, you know corporates and um, co-working spaces were told to go into work only if it is essential uh, while uh, i am not too sure if that came as a government directive but it did come in the newspapers and uh, it uh, possibly was more state authorities uh, and especially states like karnataka uh, kerala uh, which had seen cases uh, fairly early on uh, which is in the beginning of march itself uh, rajasthan Uh, some of these states states started acting uh, far quicker uh, what followed in the country was much like uh, the uk there was this reluctance to accept that a lockdown was required uh, but i feel that one move uh, by the modi government uh, which needs to be uh, given some credit but it gets kind of lost in the flow of things because obviously everything he says by the next day has at least about a million tweets making fun of him or criticizing him so Uh, i don't think the mind is allowed to process the need and nature of such uh, decisions uh, but when he came out uh, mid march and spoke about the janta curfew i think uh, the idea there which a lot of people understood uh, intuitively was that this was a call for future action right that this was basically telling people outside urban centers that something larger is going to follow and that if you can do this one day uh and uh, i think for the state governments local authorities to see how much is followed voluntarily because there was absolutely no uh, compulsion there weren't cops on the street that day uh, as they are now um, you know lati charging people none of that was happened on the janta curfew day uh this was to really see how prepared people would be to listen which in a country where we rarely are asked to listen uh it was really a test of uh, character and the moment that was done with a days gap by which time most states announced complete lockdowns including a section 144 curfew uh which was instituted on karnataka in karnataka where i am the very next day of the janta curfew uh, other states had instituted it during the weekend itself uh, punjab had extended uh, the janta curfew for a couple more days uh, so such steps were already been taken by the state government uh, i think after that is where things have uh potentially fallen apart a bit um on uh, on tuesday i mean the sunday was the uh, janta curfew and on the tuesday after that uh, was when uh, modi came out and announced uh, the 21 day lockdown um there were a couple of very basic communication uh, issues which seemed to keep cropping up in every uh, large policy or national announcement that he tends to make Uh, which is where he leaves so much up in the air and some of the most 
uh, essential parts of uh, communique like that are uh, generally left in the air uh, with uh, with the demonetization uh, besides the intent uh, the execution was not explained at all um, when and and in that intent also as we all know changed every 3 days after that for the next uh, quarter um, when it came to kashmir uh, again it was the intent uh, not the execution uh, not timelines around the lockdown that was instituted in kashmir uh, and when it came to the lockdown for uh, uh, this pandemic uh modi again uh, surprisingly in a 30 minute uh, recording uh, which uh, which i'm sure he might have tested with uh, his uh, by a fairly able bureaucrats he managed to forget basics uh, like essentials would be available uh, and will be well stocked and this is what your state governments are going to be doing about it none of it was mentioned and people during the speech i could see it on twitter i could see it in my own household uh, my family uh, homes uh everyone asking questions about should we step out right now to get uh, uh essentials and the the countless videos that popped up everywhere of uh, soon after the at 8:30 literally when that address got over people rushing on the streets it happened on the street outside my house i could hear cars and bikes rushing out even though we were already in curfew uh in the state of karnataka people rushing out to uh, pick up groceries uh which uh, unfortunately when you are not available in stores so i think uh, what has followed after that is one there's been this complete breakdown between the central and state governments uh, karnataka government within uh, a state between local authorities and the government uh, rules keep changing uh, initially there was um, a completely insane level of enforcement uh, essentials were not defined so delivery people were being stopped who were carrying Uh, vegetables a lot of it has gone waste from farms that you know where i know people um what and that has been a trend across the country uh, in in the week that has followed there has obviously been a little bit more clarity but i think uh, on a much larger scale the objective of this 21 day lockdown i think is completely lost on people uh, people think that at the end of this because airports are shut uh because uh, cases are being identified of people who had flown into the country post march 8th and i think i must give great credit to uh, local and state authorities on how they have managed to track down people uh, especially you know the complexity of tracking down people in a country like india uh, but right from people who have flown into the country from the 8th of march um the number was close to about 43000 in bangalore itself uh, from finding each of them uh registering them stamping them with the quarantine stamp on their hand informing neighbors in the building about the presence of a quarantined uh, patient or or even if they are not yet in uh, though as i mean there was no testing done so they were really told to self isolate uh, even contact tracing that has happened on existing cases across the country uh, we've had some uh, pretty irresponsible behavior by a lot of uh, uh people and groups and individuals uh, but uh, state and local authorities have done a great job on that from whatever we hear but i think the problem is nobody knows uh, the objective of the lockdown which uh, we are only guessing uh we do have uh you know love agarwal uh, popping up pretty much every day on uh, tv who is uh, the joint secretary at the health ministry uh, he's pretty much become the face of the crisis in terms of explaining and breaking down a lot of the Uh, disinformation out there 
Uh, so there, there is some effort going on, but just in terms of goals and objectives, uh, how the state of the uh, medical infrastructure in the country is geared up for what uh, is, I mean, we are very far away from our peak, clearly. Uh, and this is assuming that we believe that no community transmission has happened, uh, even though with the uh, Tablighi uh, mosque case in Nizamuddin, that is one reported uh, uh, case of potential community transmission. There may be many more. Uh, so it's very hard to believe in a country like India, it, it could not have happened till now. So just in terms of what the government is doing to be prepared for this 21 days, a lot of the conversation seems to be happening now. We are one week into it. And now there are conversations about companies that are being identified, uh, liquidity that is being made available from uh, central from the central bank, uh, instituting uh, public sector and private banks to make money available for companies who are producing uh, ventilators and, uh, you know, uh, the PPE the for the medical staff. I think... Uh, the fact that these conversations are happening now is uh, is what feels uh, extremely broken because uh, the idea was that the two weeks or the one and a half weeks before the lockdown was announced was where uh, at least the blueprint for this would be laid out and the 21 days would really be used to be able to bring in a lot of this into effect. Keeping aside, some of the states who are doing a great job at it by themselves without really depending on the central government. Uh, so I think... Uh, miscommunication or a lack of it continues. Uh, it is a trend even here. And I fear for anyone right now sitting and thinking that the end of the lockdown means the return of normalcy. Uh, I feel that um, another great example that way is uh, the US. I mean, we all, uh, through any crisis in the world, would always look to the US. We would also look to the EU, uh, both who seem to have um, miserably failed or been overwhelmed, uh, you know. So, what, what do you think has has kind of broken down in these two uh, bastions of hope in all other crises for the world? And uh, before moving on to that, picking on two threads that you yeah. mentioned, uh, one was self isolation, which uh, overwhelmingly population centers, countries around the world have relied on basic human decency if you've traveled for you to self-isolate and we've never really had a pandemic or any crisis before in the world which relied on human decency to help solve it or help alleviate the pain for the larger population and the second uh, before we move on to the US and this ties into that is the three leaders of these nations the US, UK and India they obviously all have the their people's best intentions at heart, but I think they're all congenitally callous. Uh, Modi, you've detailed out the decisions, uh, the historic decisions that he's taken in the past few years, but uh, have been followed through with very poor implementation. Boris Johnson, of course, joking about the right, inalienable right of every freeborn Briton to head down to the pub and that now being curtailed. And then, of course, there's Donald Trump, where congenital callousness, I think, just <laughs> runs through the family and it shows up in every decision that he takes. I think that is one binding thread and which ties into what the US is has actually gone through. Very slow in implementing uh, travel restrictions, very slow in implementing lockdown measures and having a federal structure not that dissimilar to India where states took matters into their own hands. New York, which is the new epicenter of the pandemic, 
uh, the governor there, Cuomo, took matters into his own hands. California took matters into their own hands. And they increasingly have to do it because the leadership from the top is callous, despite the fact that they have the country's and the people's best intentions at uh, heart. So now we are looking at the US and a good comparable is the EU. And uh, more than being worried about the US, uh, I think they will pull through because of... uh, their biotech companies, I think they'll really be on ball with coming up with whatever treatment or antibody uh, test uh, uh, that the world comes up with will in all likelihood come from the US. They have a very strong pharmaceutical sector, even if they have a broken healthcare system. But it's the EU that I'm really worried about. Their leadership has floundered and there's uh, increasing consensus that every time Europe as a whole has faced a collective threat, the EU has failed. Uh, they failed at two, in 2008. to uh, They did bail out uh, you know, Portugal, Spain, Ireland and Greece, but they bailed them out with uh, austerity. So it was a cost imposed upon the people of those countries. And now these countries are again the worst affected and they're in no mood to tighten their belts again. This will not be a case where... Uh, these company, uh, these countries go on austerity drives and receive EU funding. They want string-free EU funding. And Italy is a prime example of a country which is so close to the brink. And not just medically. They already are touching about 150% of their uh, GDP they have in debt. And uh, they'll definitely need way more uh, in terms of EU-sponsored debt to keep the country going. Their economy will shrink. So in all likelihood they'll be well above one and a half times uh, debt-to-GDP ratios. So what does that mean for the EU? Do they kick Italy out? Uh, Does Italy, do Italians themselves want to leave the EU? Because they've seen what uh, currency which you can control can do. Here in the UK, uh, the currency weakened significantly once the BOE started announcing uh, interest rate cuts. And that is what will eventually uh, help countries come out of the pandemic enforced recession uh, and with that I think it's a good uh, segue to talk about how we think the relationship between government and various entities in the country be it the people be it the corporates be it the public sector enterprises how we think that will change after this pandemic because we know the one thing we know for a fact is we will not go back to the world as usual at least I think ever again, but even if you're optimistic, you know, we're not going back to the world we knew before the pandemic very quickly. So I think it's prudent to talk about the relationship that people have with their governments, that companies have with their governments and that companies where the government is a shareholder has with the government. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, if we we look at this pandemic as like a a testing ground for uh, everything that we hold... uh, you know, important in uh, democracies today and in uh, free societies. Um, I feel that, yeah, there have been some significant uh, failures or even if, uh, I mean, failures we will really know in time, but uh, just markers for uh, the level of uh, inefficiency and how we just uh, haven't been prepared. You know, like the first point that I'd like to kind of really touch upon, which I've been trying my best to kind of... uh, uh, glean from the news and, uh, you know, other similar podcasts as ours has been the private-public, uh, you know, partnership in this uh, country and the entire ecosystem 
of how they both work together uh, in india itself uh, there was a lot of hesitation from the uh, government central government to bring in private labs uh, there are multiple theories on why that is true they were worried about how private labs will uh, um, uh, you know fund this whole thing how much they will charge uh, patients the government wanted to keep it free um, they were worried about the tests that will be used would indigenous tests that were not tested and approved by the uh, icmr get used I, there are multiple theories i'm sure most of them must be right uh, but i think what has failed is that in the light of uh, past pandemics uh, and the knowledge for every government out there for the who uh, that a pandemic of this nature was imminent at any point uh, the fact that uh, the the central government does not know how to work with the private uh, ecosystem uh, is what has been shocking uh, in in the us while they do have a uh, you know a war production uh, act in place which can be pushed by the uh, president uh, in india whatever the equivalent of that is or even if the indian government wanted to push that uh, it's taken far too much time and while a lot of people will say it's the indian government what are two weeks in terms of time but this is a pandemic that is not really waiting uh, for anybody there has been some positive uh, signals uh, there was a podcast on the uh, from the pragati podcast that i was listening to of kiran mazumdar show and how uh she as the chairman and head of biocon has been working with the karnataka and the central government on identifying private players who have been sitting in india uh during this entire crisis exporting ventilators to other parts of the world unknown to the uh, central government that they have the capacity to build uh, but what they really needed was uh, uh, working capital to be able to go ahead and fulfill these orders for the uh, indian government uh, even when it comes to um, um uh, protective equipment uh much of the larger corporations in the country now are swinging into action uh, but where is the plan for uh, such a move to any way uh, kind of uh, happen in such a uh, circumstance i think that has been uh, a bit worrying that there wasn't already a, a road map somewhere sitting in some bureaucrat shelves which could just be uh, pulled out and you know the companies uh, that are listed under your very own uh registrar and mandate as uh, state and central governments uh, to be able to work uh, in in what is really uh, times of great emergency um i think the other uh thing very close to the private and public partnership for me has been the central and state uh, relationship recently ashok gelot of rajasthan came out and said that you know narendra modi needs to have an open line with all the chief ministers of all the states Uh, right at the beginning of this crisis in early march long before uh, this became a national uh, crisis uh, kerala had already begun implementing steps that seemed far ahead of the curve even for uh, most of europe and uh, pretty much at par with what uh, the rest of southeast asia and south asia was doing uh, it really comes from a state of being prepared because of uh, the nipah virus that hit kerala and how ably they managed it uh the fact that no cues uh, of any kind were taken from there uh, no involvement of uh, officials from a government that has gone through a similar crisis before were taken uh, and the fact that state governments started taking decisions long before the central government uh, could uh, swing into action uh, shows a gross uh, lack of communication and you see a lot of the non bjp states swinging into action a lot faster even if the cases were lesser uh, and when you look at the absolutely terrible cost to uh, just human resources in the country with the 
labor migration that has been happening over the last uh, week, which has completely made the lockdown uh, moot uh, now with the, with the level of uh, movement that's happened, uh, the amount of contact that has happened between them and public uh, health uh, care officials. Um, this again is a breakdown of any kind of communication. I mean, this takes the simplest of modeling for uh, bureaucrats sitting with Modi to be able to say that the moment we make an announcement like this, the first group of people to be affected and to want to move home uh, would be the migrant laborers. Uh, and uh, to have not accounted for that, to have not sealed off borders, to have not created relief camps, which are all happening now in this 21-day period, which is meant for preparation and not for realizing the problems, uh, I think has been a, a major uh, a failure on the government's part and uh, government and at the center and state's part. Um, I, I think another point that really comes to mind, and I really would uh, like your thinking on this too, because we were discussing this, was, uh, you, I mean, you touched upon it with the EU uh, and uh, these large um, collectives, uh, you know, even with the G20, uh, the G20 did swing into action. Apparently, Modi was one of the first people to reach out and say that we need to have a discussion about what we do. Uh, even if you look at SARC, uh, with uh, Modi kind of getting them together and a lot of relief being sent across to uh, countries like the Maldives and uh, Bhutan. But I, I I fail to understand why there isn't already a game plan in place, especially with uh, groups such as, as powerful as uh, the G20 and the EU and even the SARC for that matter. Uh, I think you the other day were talking about also the fact uh, of how a lot of Indians are cribbing about the amount of money the uh, Indian government is putting out forward for its people, uh, just the relief packages, and they're comparing it to what's happening in Europe and the US, uh, and how a lot of the borrowing really kind of happens uh, from these groups, from the World Bank. Uh, these organizations failing uh, at some level or swinging into action so late. I, I just wanted to hear uh, some additional thoughts on how it's impacting specifically how a lot of countries who might be worse off in the situation uh, both from a terms of uh, casualties and also financially able to kind of protect. Uh, if you look at an Italy, how how would an Italy really differ from an India in terms of how they can provide for their people uh, financially and the role of these organizations in that? I think the first uh, thing to touch upon in that would be do these uh, supranational structures and organizations swing into action and backstop and ensure a low borrowing cost? And they honestly only really need to do that for developing countries and for countries where the debt burden is already quite high in the West, like Italy or like Spain. And they've decisively failed to do that. Uh, when you talk about the Indian relief uh, measures being announced amounting to only $22 billion, of course, that's a minuscule percentage of our GDP. And then you compare it to countries like the US, a $2 trillion package, which has already been approved, Trump's $2 trillion infrastructure plan, uh, again now, the wheels have been put in motion for that. What you forget is that those countries can borrow at zero cost. Uh, the yields on their bond are close to zero, which means they essentially have to pay no interest to bondholders who will lend them this money. And in many cases, they can just go ahead and print that money anyway, because they're the world's reserve currency, they're the world's reserve bank. Uh, India doesn't have that luxury. If India were to borrow at six, six and a half, seven percent, in this environment to fund 
say even 5 or 7% of india's gdp that would be catastrophic for the indian rupee for the cost of borrowing that india has and that would saddle future indian generations with that debt burden so rightly india is not in a place to go out and borrow large sums of money and this is something that uh, structures super structures like the un like the g20 the g7 the eu those are the organizations which are supposed to be really helping out with uh, funding costs for countries like india for countries like bangladesh for african countries for brazil and that has really not happened and that leads me into a point which i've been feeling very acutely ever since this crisis hit uh, looking at all the reportage in the press is that the post war consensus on the relationship between the individual and the state is breaking down or is being reevaluated in countries across the world uh, uk as an example the state has exited business uh, to a very large extent in fact they withdrawn from business uh, at a too much greater degree than any of uh, their european peers and the post war consensus was essentially margaret thatcher's uh, consensus which is there's an individual and there's no society and then there's a state which enables the individual and now you see a conservative government stepping into all pockets of spaces which would have been anathema to them even 3 or 4 weeks ago uh rishi sanat the packages that he's announced for each and every household for sectors which have been affected by this would have been unheard of from a conservative chancellor even four or five weeks ago so that consensus is increasingly coming under threat or at least is being reevaluated the us looks at europe and looks at uh, they've always looked at european labor laws as arcane as archaic and as saddling the state with additional burden but now that this pandemic has hit home germany is actually using their post world war 2 measures to backstop workers who have been furloughed from losing their wages and the us they have no such uh, wage backstop in place the uk in a fortnight a million people have applied for state protection from loss of wages so that relationship is being constantly reevaluated now every minute of every day and i think when we do emerge out of this uh the relationship between companies and the government would also have changed because i envision the government has been majority shareholders in many more companies across the world than is the case right now because that's the only way they will be able to backstop the pain that these companies have been put through the consensus obviously is that you know these companies should look after themselves they should not be coming to the government for any sort of funding or lending but in a world where the government has forced all economic activity to cease uh, f- due to an event which nobody could foresee and is nobody's fault what do these companies do you can't ban airlines from flying and then also not give them any aid you can't shut down all the local uh, pubs and restaurants and theaters and then not give them any aid so that relationship is also one which will irrevocably change in a way you know mirroring what happened in 2008 for the banks but this time it would be for the entire economy right so i think on on that note we've uh, covered a lot of these dynamics uh, within the uh, ecosystem i feel like one it's this uh, constantly uh, evolving uh, situation i i hope we are uh, proven wrong on a lot of our uh, assumptions of how things have uh, we think would kind of unfold 
some of the broken parts that we are seeing now uh, i hope will get repaired i hope there's a grander planet play i think one thing that uh, i i would would like to point out before we kind of close this uh, episode out is that uh, this is a crisis without a playbook uh, i don't think any of us uh, individually in our own lives uh, even know how to uh, deal with just managing our households and our sanity also through this um so the entire task of running this uh, and taking these decisions for uh, you know over a billion people in india and the different populations in europe and uh, america uh, where every day uh, you you see the numbers kind of piling up in terms of uh, cases and deaths uh, and to kind of have to straddle that with the many opinions of people right i think uh, one conversation we were having the other day was just about you know uh, uh, trump and some other leaders basically talking about how the cure might be far more dangerous than the disease and uh, while i'm sure a lot of us are thinking about it and a lot of us are already uh, itching not to step out not just to uh, eat and meet friends and party but to really get our own individual uh, economies and uh, you know running and our own work lives and businesses going uh, I- i'm sure the temptation for the government to want to just revert to normal uh, quickly will be very high but the cost of what may follow from a uh health uh, uh tragedy perspective uh, might be weighing them down so this is a crisis with um some people will disagree that there were versions of a playbook available uh with sars back in 2003 but i don't think the whole world had prepared to be hit by something like this in one shot so we must uh, i think at that level uh, give uh time to our leaders just not a lot of it and on that note i think we should urge our listeners to stay safe stay indoors and we'll beam into their uh, living rooms uh, in a fortnight again